From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I get to speak with top business leaders and founders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods they use to build their bottom line and a better future for all of us by leading with we. Today, I'm talking with Tobias Peggs, the co-founder and CEO of Square Roots. Square Roots is an indoor urban farming company that is transforming how food is grown and distributed in the US in truly exciting ways. Now, Tobias comes from the tech world. He has a PhD in machine learning and has worked with many successful startups. So I'm really excited to talk with him about the intersection of technology and the local food movement, plus so much more. Tobias, welcome to Lead with We. Thank you very much. Tobias, machine learning, local food, bridge that gap for me. That's like an evil can evil leap. Yeah, it's perfect training to be a farmer, right? Um, it's uh, as it happens, there is a data science reason as to why I ended up in in food. Um, one of my previous tech companies was acquired by probably the world's largest retailer. Um, and as part of that acquisition, I was working there for a year. And um, one of the projects that they had me do was study global grocery buying behaviors. Uh, and This was Walmart. Yeah, that's was right. it Walmart? Yeah. And as a, yeah. as, a, as a data scientist, what I saw there was um, pretty scary, honestly, right? Uh, you know, obviously at Walmart scale, you've got 300 million customers or whatever they've got buying their groceries right. you know, every day. Uh, that's a lot of data. Um, that's a lot and, of data. you know, as I found out, that's a lot of bananas flying all over the world from one part flying of the planet to the other. Flying in and flying out. Yeah. I can and, only imagine. Uh, you know, you sort of realize or you begin to think about the impact on the planet of uh, that transport, um, you know, as food is traveling, um, nutrients are breaking down. So maybe the quality of food isn't so good at the end of long supply chains as it would be for, for, for local food. And then I began to sort of see just, you know, you talk to customers and, you know, they don't really have any idea of where their food comes from. You know, that kind of sense exactly. of community around food was, was just lost. And so the, you know, that was the spark of the idea for me. I was thinking, well, listen, people want food from all over the world. Like that's not going to change. But instead of shipping food from one part of the world to the other, how about we shipped environmental data from one part of the world to the other? And then we could recreate climates that were perfect for growing all sorts of foods, but recreate those climates in your backyard, right? In a local zip code, in the same zip code as the end consumer. And so you could grow food from all over the world, which is what people want, but get it to the retail store the same day that it's harvested. Um, and that, that was kind of the original idea for Square Roots. So, you know, connect the dots because, you know, for many of us, like we know what AI or machine learning is. You've talked about sort of agricultural data, but how does it all fit together? How does it work? What role does that play? How did it make this idea, not just a great idea, but make it possible? Sure. Yeah. So I think specifically at Square Roots, it's helpful to understand the the, the architecture of what we're building, right? So I'll give some buzzwords here, but we're basically building a network of cloud-connected modular farms. These environments that I talked about that are good for growing food, we create those environments inside upcycled shipping containers okay right so think of a you know 40 foot shipping container and that's you know tacked out and inside that container then is the perfect environment for growing a certain crop right we can locate that container or clusters of them as it happens in any zip code across the country or across the world right now inside those farms then we're growing the food and we're you know we've got it the perfect climate but we're also capturing data every single second 
as to what is happening inside that box, right? The temperature, the humidity, the nutrients at the end of a harvest cycle, what was the yield like, what was the taste, what was the texture. And that data is being captured in every single uh, uh, box, right? Every container that we have across the network. What beautifully happens then is that, you know, if in one particular box a farmer did something or we change an environmental parameter that increased the yield or reduced the resources that we need, uh, that uh, our learning systems will spot that information from the data and then push that new instruction out across the whole network. So it's almost like the whole network is learning how to farm better wow. um, as we go about building the business. That's, that's amazing because you're not only solving for the need, but you're iterating and rapid prototyping the whole time to up, up level the whole system. And I mean, I, I want people to really hear what you're sharing, which was it all started by a very, very, like an undeniable need that you saw in terms of the inefficiencies and the logistics and the shipping of all the produce that comes in every day. But then you know, the ambition you had as an entrepreneur was massive to just revolutionize the way that we think about food supply and localizing it. So there was no limit on your ambition, but then how did you go from that idea? I know you're, you're, you're partnered with um, Kimball Musk. You know, how did you go from that idea to execution? Because when you've got a huge idea like that, sometimes it's intimidating. You go, well, great idea, but I can never do that. So where did you start? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because, you know, as we started to sit there and dream about what this business would be at scale, we saw that we had these modular farms in, you know, in every city, in every country across the world. And that is the way that we're able to, you know, think about feeding every consumer on the planet with locally grown food. Right. And there was a big missing piece of the puzzle as we thought about that, which is we knew there would not be enough farmers to hire to be able to staff all of those farms. And that quickly led us actually to like the, the second really fundamental uh, sort of pillar of purpose, if you like, around the business, which is to uh, provide pathways for young people to come into the farming industry and become the right. future leaders. And there, there's a big need there, right? The average age of a farmer in the United States is 58 years old. Um, wow. So as well as all of the problems with the food system that are, you know, somewhat understood now, it's a big greenhouse gas contributor, 70% of food that we eat has got trace pesticides in it, uh, you know, 40% of food from industrial um, systems is just wasted, you know, we can go on and on and on about the problems. In addition, there is a demographic time bomb that is about to detonate across our food system, which is who the hell is going to grow all the food when our current farmers retire in five or 10 years time, right? It, Never it, thought it, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So we knew that we had to go figure out a way to bring, you know, young people into the industry and train them quickly uh, so that they could be you know, not just productive farmers, but feel very enthused about a, a career in a completely new industry for them. So the, the, the first thing that we did as a business was prove to ourselves that we could train young people to be farmers. Right. right, and we put a platform together, hardware and software that that enabled us to do that. And twelve months after starting the company, we had trained ten young people, who, many of whom had never even grown a houseplant before, and they were capable of growing this really, really, really tasty food. They then must the, have been thrilled. They, they must have been like, did the reaction? What was their reaction? Uh, it was wild. I mean, we had yeah. you know, a, you know, a guy who was an investment banker who you know, was bored sitting behind a spreadsheet all day long and quit his job to, you know, join Square Roots because he wanted to make an impact on the world. 
who was growing like the most delicious kale um, you know that you've ever tasted in your life sort of six months after making that transition it, it, it was just magic to see that that's happen. powerful stuff I mean it's really powerful and 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 you know I, I get a sense that you've got these modular farms but it's almost like a network of distribution of, of, of locally grown produce where's the hub do you have centers around the country that then look after these various sort of modular farms how does the structure work yeah, sure. It's actually a fully distributed model, right? So when we think about deploying a farm in a new city, um, you know, obviously we want to make sure there's demand in that city. You know, is it big enough to, you know, frankly buy the food that we're growing? Um, and um, what we like to do is deploy uh, like clusters of these modular farms together, so that there's some kind of operational scale and, right. and the business economics work. Um, but then that farm serving that market runs as its own kind of independent business entity sat on top of a standard technology platform. And so, again, go back to the sort of, you know, customer proposition away from the, the sort of buzzwords that I'm using. If you are a customer in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you come across Square Roots, then Square Roots is your local farm. You right. can drive to the farm. You can meet the farmers food that you buy on the supermarket shelf was grown in your zip code and was harvested 24 hours ago. If you are a Square Roots customer in New York City, same thing. New York City is your local farm. You can jump on a subway, go to the farm, meet the farmers, the whole thing. It's a very consistent experience, right? Because those consumer experiences are sat on top of this very, very scalable platform of technology and data and process and the whole thing. But the, the consumer experience is a, is a hyper-local one. That's fantastic. I mean, because, you know, the, the, the credibility of the brand, but also the integrity of your product turns on that, you know, their ability to sort of see that, that new, the new version of what farming looks like. Um, let me ask you, when you actually kind of took this to scale, when you were taking it to market, there must have been obstacles in the way from a technology point of view or even from a an agricultural point of view, like isn't there a certain constitution of soil that certain types of crops or plants require or certain climactic conditions that are very hard to recreate in a small space like a container? Like how did you think through these microcosms you're building? Yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Actually, honestly, the first challenge, though, was just to convince people that we weren't insane. Right, you can imagine the pitch. You know, like, I love hey, that. Take I love these. that. Like, the we're... first job, we are not insane. <laughs> Right. Mission accomplished. Thank you very much. There we you, go. You can yeah. imagine the pitch. You know, all right, we're going to take these young people who've never grown any food before and put them in a metal box in a parking lot in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, they're going to grow the most amazing food you've ever tasted in your life. Like people thought we were nuts. So, you know, once we'd proven that, um, <laughs> that, that then, then we got on with other challenges. But but in terms of, you know, some of the things that you talk about, um you know, I'll answer it from the specific question of like what types of things can we grow in the in the farm? Sure. Um, and it's not really a question of capability. Um, you know, in the sort of three years we've been up and running um, with our farming system, we've grown probably 400 different varieties of, of crops, like herbs, leafy greens, fruiting crops, like strawberries, tomatoes. I mean, we've grown turnips and, you know, eggplants and, and all sorts of stuff. The, the question is really economics. Right. What can you grow at a and, and get to market at a competitive price? 
Um, and, and to put it in its simplest terms, right, right, um, right. the heavier the vegetable you're trying to grow, the more energy is required to grow that vegetable. And so the more expensive it becomes, right? Photosynthesis, that plant growing is basically the plant taking energy from a light source and converting that into biomass, right? Our light source is artificial lights, it's LEDs. We do that so we have perfect year round control and there's the exact amount of energy going into the plant. But of course, that costs money, right? So I can grow you turnips today, but there's so much biomass there that, you know, it's going to take so much energy to make sense. Whereas things like herbs and leafy greens and the small fruiting crops, tomatoes, strawberries, that's all very, very possible with the system t today. But th this is where the sort of data science and the technology sort of marries, right? Which is if I'm an outdoor farmer, I can't suddenly look at the sun and make it twice as efficient and you know reduce my costs or double my yield whereas as an indoor farmer i i can do that so you know over the, the way i sort of think about it is you know walk into a supermarket your favorite supermarket line up every single fruit and vegetable from the lightest to the heaviest and that's essentially our product roadmap for the next 20 years you know with a diminishing amount of arable land in the world and unsustainable agricultural practices, it might sound like a science fiction leap what you're doing, but it's absolutely critical. And, you know, how intentional were you about your purpose in the first place? Like, what is the purpose of Square Roots and, and how do you articulate that? And did you start with that and then build a business model out of it? Or did you reverse engineer out of just this solution to the need? We, we, we started with it, actually. Um, the, you know, I mentioned there were sort of two, you know, after sort of yeah, you know, me and Kimball came up with the idea and we got the initial funding. There were two of us in a WeWork office kind of getting the thing up and running. And literally the first thing we did was put together a mission statement and a set of core values. Awesome. And what we sort of said was, listen, if we're going to sign up to work for this company for the next 20 years, like, let's make it a company we want to get out of bed for every single day. Like, sure. let's really believe in the mission and the purpose. And then let's create a culture you know, codified by this set of values that we really enjoy being in, right? So if we've got that done, okay, now this is, this is, you know, this is the mission of the company and this is how it's going to feel as we're sort of, you know, approaching that mission over the next decades, right? Now go build a company that, you know, is doing that and feels like that on a daily basis. No, you need to build that brand because, you know, you need a great product and a great story. So what is, what is the mission of the company? What are those values? So the, the, the mission of the company as it's articulated is to bring locally grown food to people in cities uh, all across the world and do that while empowering the next generation of leaders in urban agriculture. Right, right. And the values that define the culture and how you want to show up in the world? Yeah, so there's a set of about 12 or 14 we have values and, and MOs. Um, and you're, you know, I'm just kind of, we don't have to go through all of those now, sure. but you're right. They basically codify how we show up for each other, how we show up for our customers, how we show up for ourselves, yeah. essentially. Did you get um, any pushback, you know, from the whole idea of, you know, you're still answering the same need as traditional farmers, but in some way it's kind of like Uber coming into the taxi business. There's a whole other way of doing things. And does that sort of cannibalize those that work on the land or, you know, the generational families that have been there. Was there any sensitivity around that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that 
100 percent of food that we eat in the future is all going to be grown in indoor farms i i just don't believe i don't believe that's a right thing to do i don't believe you know that that that, that, that will happen in parallel we work uh very closely with um you know soil-based farmers right. who have got you know millennia of experience sure. you know growing this food and we're, we're growing the same food right, right. Um, you know, it might be indoors and we're creating the environment, but, you know, they're growing basil, we're growing basil, they're growing kale, we're growing kale. There's a lot that we can learn there and, and should do. Right. And we're very open to taking advice and listening. I'll give you an example, um, you know, a good uh, technique in organic farming um, is known as integrated pest management. Right. where a farmer might release beneficial insects onto the crop that, mm-hmm. you know, essentially eating the nasty insects that we don't want, right? We use exactly that technique inside the farm. So we'll release beneficial insects um, as part of an IPM program, which is you know, almost a one-for-one parallel with what an organic farmer is doing. Right. It would be ridiculous if we didn't sit down and talk with organic farmers about, you know, how they do that in their best practices, right? So that I think that's a, a good example. What I would say is that, the farmers that we work with are very much uh, on the same sort of mission, which is how do we get people more connected with where their food comes from? How do we build that sense of community around food? Um, and I think that the sort of common enemy, if you like, is the industrial food system. Sure. Um, you know, that's shipping in food from thousands of miles away where we've got no idea where it's come from. And, you know, it's not particularly good for the planet or, or the people. And, I mean, the commodities markets themselves, you hear that, you know, the prices go up, they go down, they're affected by natural disasters, there's waste, you know, and food is dumped each year. Does this help Mm -hmm. provide a better control system for the amount of food that's produced? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, if you are a field farmer, um, you know, you need to over plant to, you know, hedge against nature. Um, You know, you can have a biblical hail storm, you know, drop on our farm and doesn't make any difference, right? Right. Because we're all indoors, right? Right. Whereas if that happens outdoors, you've lost all of your crop, right? So, you know, farmers are replanting, then, um, you know, food in the the industrial food system, farmers are replanting, food is traveling for weeks on end in trucks being bounced around, a lot of that's getting destroyed. Then it gets to the supermarket and the supermarket will reject it if it doesn't look pretty enough because they don't think they can sell it. Right. And then consumers, especially in America, will over consume and there's food waste at the end of the week. So in all, if you look at the American industrial food system, 40 percent of the food that we grow is wasted along that supply chain. It's unbelievable, right? With square roots, because we're indoor, there's a lot of precision, a lot of control. We can grow food for demand. Um, we don't need to over plant, right? For every seed that goes in, I know exactly how much food is coming at the end of the day because the supermarkets that we work with have been in many cases, like within two or five miles of the farm, the food's getting there the next day. Um, you know, there's no food waste on the way. And then the shelf life of the product, because it's only taken a day to get to the farm is extraordinary. So there's very little waste. Uh, the estimates that we've done on our system, we think we have a 3% waste across our chain versus a 40% waste in the industrial food system. If you're responding to a need as big as this, 
than so are others. And I mean, we hear things about vertical farming. You see, you know, genetic modifications that increase crop yield out of the same amount of soil or land. Like what, what does competition look like as you sort of step into this huge opportunity? Yeah, I mean, for sure, um, you know, vertical farming, controlled climate agriculture, um, you know, high tech farming, like the world that we're in is definitely a, a sort of hot industry right now. Um, You know, every week there's a new announcement of some new farm or some new mega funding round that's happened. It's very exciting, Uh, but it's still very, very, very early, right? Food is a $12 trillion industry and there's, you know, like 20 companies that have raised a bunch of money that are doing this stuff in America, right? We're we're, we're a tiny, tiny, tiny part of an absolutely ginormous market right now. Uh, We're also very collaborative, actually. Um, you know, I know pretty much every founder or CEO of every indoor farming company that, that that's there. And, you know, there's remarkable alignment around that mission. Everybody understands that we've got to change the food system. And, you know, if we're helping each other out, it, it's better for all of us. I think the other thing that's going on with indoor farming, it actually reminds me of the Internet in the early 90s. Right. It's like we know this thing is inevitable but no one can quite yet tell you what shape it's going to take in the future, right? And indoor farming is kind of like that, right? There's a bunch of us that are crazy enough to jump in because it is inevitable and we're all kind of helping each other figure out how this eventually feeds every consumer, you know, in the world. And how do you you address, you know, misperception by consumers that this is frankenfood, it's wild science? Like, how do you show with transparency that this has... Not only the same taste experience, which is half the battle one, but the same quality and integrity as, you know, what they get from a local farm. Yeah, transparency is obviously key, right? If you ask any consumer what they want from the food system, it's more transparency. Where did my food come from? You know, do I trust that this is food I want to be feeding my kids tonight? You know, that's the number one question. The current you know, industrial system is so opaque, it, it's kind of hard to see that. So we kind of baked this idea of transparency right into you know not just the core values but into the physical product so on the hardware side the farms themselves we have massive windows at the end of the farms right, right. so if you're walking by in the neighborhood you can just have a look in and see it's like, the, you know, farmer, the, ba- the, like the room where all the babies are in the hospital you can go in and say right. which one's ours right? exactly right yeah oh that's my basil i will buy that tomorrow that's my basil uh, and then because of the, you know, the whole thing's cloud connected and we're tracking data every step of the way. And again, how does, you know, how can that benefit the consumer? On every package of Square Roots product, there's a QR code that you can scan, which will pop open a mobile web page on your phone that will show you the complete story of where your food came from, from seed to shelf. And it will show you pictures along the way, the picture of the farmer who, you know, harvested it yesterday. And you can click on that and learn more about that farmer. So even if you can't physically get to the farm, we're still providing that you know complete sort of uh, transparency and then also of course traceability uh, of the product you know to the consumer at the at the supermarket shelf. I mean that's so powerful because you know consumers aren't just conscious today; they can be equally punitive. They're like, if you're not doing the right thing and if you're not defensible, then we're going to call you out. And that's interesting because there's, you know, alternatives out there like SourceMap that would, you know, allow you to see the supply chain of a product, which would give you some sense of confidence that it was came from the right place and there wasn't unnecessary carbon footprint and so on. But you're taking that all out of the equation. You're localizing the production outright, so you don't even need to worry about all of that. Um, 
do you find, you know, when you go to build the business now as an entrepreneur, is the mission itself, much like we saw with sort of Elon Musk and Tesla, is the mission itself so compelling people come to you or do you need to go out and, you know, find people to work with you and, and sort of sell them in on the vision and help them understand, you know, the technology? Yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, and I don't think there's a one size fits all. And so what, what I will say is that we use that, that mission and, and our values to ensure that there's alignment with, you know, with a partner or with a new hire. Um, you know, as we think about scaling the business, we obviously want to scale the culture as well and make sure that we're building, you know, a fantastic organization at scale that is, you know, doing the right thing, quote unquote, as part of its DNA. And so we're very, very deliberate, as I said, on things like hiring or thinking about partners that we work with to really do our due diligence and make sure there's mission and values alignment. Uh, you know, if that's not there on day one, the, you know, you're going to quickly get off track and, and things are going to just feel harder. Um, you know, when a, when a new hire or a new partner that you're working with is like you, you know, trying to fix the food system and, um, you know, trying to bring this idea of, of real local food to, to, to people, um, you know, there are going to be bumps in the road. There are going to be things that don't go quite right. But if there's that shared sort of purpose and, you know, a shared articulation of what the mission is, then you bash through those things and you, you make that happen. It's a very powerful multiplier. You know, when you think back to that initial moment of insight where you thought, what's wrong with this picture? when you were doing all of that logistic work before and you saw the waste and so on, if you build on that, like what does the future of food look like in your mind, Tobias? What, what can we imagine 10 years down the track? What do you think it'll look like? Yeah, I mean, one, I think the food system has to become a lot more responsible, sustainable, you know, whatever word you put on that. Um, the current food system cannot feed the near future world, which has, you know, 10 billion people, 70% living in urban areas that are, you know, not near the, these industrial farms. Like the problems that we have today with transport and all those things only get worse in the very immediate, in the very immediate future. And, you know, there's an obligation to fix that. But I also think the consumer is not going to stand for that food system any longer, right? You know, and you see this in the numbers, right? Organic food in the right. U.S., um, you know, which is kind of a label for what people think is a better for you system. There are some issues with it, but let's put those aside for now. You know, organic food has gone from essentially zero when I came to the US 15 years ago to, you know, $25, $30 billion industry right now. And that's all driven by the consumer saying there has to be a better way, right? So I think that mega trend is, is, is happening. Um, I also think it's been accelerated by COVID, right? Because overnight people were forced to stay at home and cook and so you get more curious about the food that you're buying and you observe how long it lasts in your refrigerator and you find out why you get a bit more educated about where your food is coming from right? so all these things are helping and then of course technology advances making lighting systems more efficient which is essentially meaning we're able to bring down our cost or grow a wider array of products all of those things are combining so we are, you know, as the Americans would say, right at the early beginning of the uh, of indoor farming here. You know, we're, we're just getting started. And, and I love the breadth of your ambition, you know, in terms of triangulating a growing population, the climate crisis, and taking on the eels of the industrial food system as it stands. I mean, 
it's a real um, powerful example of just how big an ambition can be, which also, you know, I, I have enormous respect for how crazy you are for taking it on in the first place <laughs> and executing against it because we need that, you know, we just need that sort of bravery right now. We need that courage to step into these great needs and to enable these industries and to create these companies and to sort of support it, support the peers because that's the only way we're going to meet these challenges um, with greater speed and equal force. So Tobias, you know, really appreciate sharing the insights, um, much respect for what you know, Square Roots is doing. And you know, where should we go to find out more? What's your, your website? Sure. Yeah, uh, we're very active on social. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter or wherever else on at Square Roots Grow. And then our website is uh, squarerootsgrow.com. Um, one of the things we list on our website is dates for future farm tours. Now, we have not had too many farm tours in the last 12 months for very obvious so reasons. book your farm so tour now. I would be very, very, very happy for everyone to sign up to the first farm tour. Not only do I want to see you, but that means the world is a much, much better place than it has been this year. I agree. So. Think of it. It's the perfect first date. There you I'm go. taking you on a farm tour. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Tobias. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead With We, where I spoke with Tobias Piggs, the co-founder and CEO of Square Roots, who shared with us how to transform a huge marketplace need into an effectively limitless business opportunity. Our show is produced by Goal17 Media, and you can find more information about Tobias and Square Roots in the show notes for this episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead With We on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And do share it with your friends and colleagues so they too can build purposeful and profitable businesses. You can also watch our episode on YouTube at WeFirstTV. And if you'd like to learn more about purposeful branding, check out WeFirstBranding.com, where we have lots of free resources and case studies. I'll see you on the next episode. And until then, let's all lead with we.